your Bibles, open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where we're going to pick up part 2 of our money series. Um, you know, the, the nice thing about teaching through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is nobody can ever accuse me of pointing my sermon at somebody. Have you guys ever had that happen? It's actually a wonderful thing when it happens, where you go to a church service and, and you're like, who told the pastor about me? How does he, he's talking right to me. And like, you know, as I look around the room and I make eye contact or I just kind of, I'm trying to span because I don't want anybody to think I'm staring at them. So I'm constantly doing this, you know, like, and then if I do lock eyes with somebody, I'm like, oh, they think I'm talking to them. And, but may, maybe you, you think, oh my gosh, he's looking right at me. He's talking right to me. Like the Holy Spirit must have told him or somebody must have told him what I have going on in my life. Well, that God knew. And that's always a good thing. I remember that happened to me when I first got saved. The first message I heard that I asked Jesus into my heart with, it was like, how does he know my entire life? Who told him? And, and thankfully, he was a pastor that was on TV and he was in like 20 states away. And so there was no way he could have known what he knew. But he spoke directly into my heart and my life. So when that happens to you here, whether it's a good thing or whether it's a convicting thing, maybe I'm talking about something that, that, that holds your feet to the fire or feels a little convicting. Just know that nobody came to me and told me, hey, so, you know, it's like, hey, you got to... Uh, you have a greed problem in your church. So, you know, today we're going to be teaching on greed and you have a lust problem in your church with this person. So next week we're going to be speaking on lust. You know, like we don't do that. We just teach through this Bible. When we come to a topic, we cover it. And it, it protects me too because it's the beauty of teaching chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And as you guys know, we um, happen to be in a place of talking about money. Now I'm happy that you guys were here last week. You're back this week knowing that, that we were going to be doing more money talk today. But again, the church doesn't need money. We're not in a position where, hey, uh, tithing is down. We need to talk about money so people can start giving. That's not the case at all. Um, again, it's just where we are in the scriptures. Amen? A couple announcements as we get into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Ladies, I want to invite you all to Ladies Bible Study on Tuesday at 6.30. They're currently studying through the book of Romans. And so um, it's definitely about Jesus and about the Bible study. But as much as that, um, it's about fellowship and friendship and making friends and getting to know ladies. And, you know, when you come to church that the faces that you see are not strangers. And um, so they eat before. Amber usually makes some kind of something to share with everybody. And so super blessed by that and gives the ladies a chance to fellowship and spend some time um, before the, the greatest Bible teacher on planet Earth teaches through the book of Romans, and so my wife's dad is a pastor, and she grew up a PK her whole life, and uh, she has all the talents of her mom and her dad. Her mom was also a Bible teacher, so it's in her blood, and then um, she married me, and she rubbed on me a little bit and helped me become a Bible teacher, um, but she's way better than I am, so I, I, I talked to some of the guys, and they're like, yeah, I listened to his Bible study on Facebook, and I'm like, yeah, it was better than your sermon. <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit when I'm beat, you know, it's cool. I can handle it. Um, so, hey, ladies, Tuesday, 630, we'd like to invite you all to come out and be a part of that. Um, um, they take breaks from time to time, so I usually announce it on Sundays. And then also, um, teenagers, um, we youth group is meeting right here on uh, Wednesday nights. And so, parents, make sure that you're encouraging your teenagers to come to youth group. So they're doing some, some pretty cool stuff. they got a lock-in planned. Um, I don't know yet when, but I'll let Josh let you guys know about that. And then um, let me give you a couple quick updates. Um, is it okay if I, if I say what's going on? Um, hey, I told you guys a couple of weeks ago that um, we were possibly going to buy a house. The church was for Bible college interns. 
that was really close and that the Bible college students could be in pro- close proximity. And uh, we found a house. We found a good deal on a house. And, um, well, the way it ended up working out, the way that God kind of twisted it, and it was God's plan all along, but um, Amber and Josh are in escrow on that house. <laughs> so, yeah, it was totally God. Like the way that I, because I found the house first and I started looking into it for the church. And then, you know, I thought, you know, because you guys know we're, we're helping them as part of their internship. And so they have an apartment. And, and I told Josh and Amber at one point, you know, depending on what happens with interns from California from the Bible college, you guys may need to stay there. And then they went and looked at it and we talked and God was in it. And so they, they applied and they qualified. And so they're going to be buying the house for themselves. That's the good news. The bad news is now I don't have a place for Bible college interns. <laughs> We're actually going to try to maybe switch places if we can make it work with where Josh and Amber are now and maybe keep their apartment and then use that for Bible college interns. But one thing that was nice about this for the interns is that it was within walking distance. And I don't know if the interns are going to have cars or not. But um, if we do end up having this place where they're staying now is over behind uh, Macy's, we may have to, you know, find a cheap vehicle for the Bible college interns to make that work. But it definitely, as far as vision goes for our church, we want to be a, a church to host Bible college interns. I think it'd be great for the church. It's great for um, us being a part of raising up the next generation. Amen? All right. So I think that's that. Oh, and then I do want to give you an update on the Philippines. I mentioned it in the offering, but I felt like I just need to be completely candid that um, they, the, the Philippines is, um, they were in lockdown because of the coronavirus. And so on February, not February, January, February, March, April, yeah, on February 28th, we had planned the trip expecting, they were announcing that on February 28th, they were going to completely go wide open, green, and open the country up. Well, what happened was, I guess they assessed everything on the 28th, and they did not go green. There's a chance they're going to go the other direction, and that um, if they do, well, we'll know soon, we're following it very closely, but if they do go into this next, whatever it is, orange or whatever, um, and they had, I guess they found like 3,000 new cases, and, and they had been on really hard lockdown. It's all over the world, you guys. It's in Israel. I mean, all over the world is experiencing, in some places, way worse than what we, even as, ba- as bad as it was in, you know, places like California and New York. But the, in Israel, for example, I talked to this lady um, that was in Israel it was about two months ago, and I was telling her, man, I would be in Israel right now. We had a trip canceled. And she said, Pastor Chris, she said, you didn't miss anything. The country of Israel... She's like, we don't have a movie theater, a restaurant, a convenience store, a museum, a site. Everything in our country has been locked down for months and months. And so, but they're, they're now inoculating, so they're getting uh, reopened. Another one of our Calvary churches um, is, is just scheduling another trip to Israel. So those of you that were signed up, just be praying about that. I'm not quite ready to um, schedule a trip just yet. I want to wait a little bit and see what happens, but... Definitely once they open up and we kind of see if people are ready to travel yet, we'll be doing Israel. Now back to the Philippines. So we'll know very soon, but there is a chance that they're going to um, require a six-day quarantine. So we're scheduled to be in the Philippines on the ground for nine days. If that happens and they require a six-day quarantine, obviously we won't be able to do a nine-day missions trip to the Philippines. So keep that in prayer. I don't pray that God's going to open it up or close it or whatever. I just pray for God's will, always for God's will, right? And so just whatever God wants to do, we're down. If they do end up closing it, closing it, we're still going to the Philippines. We're just going to postpone it, either 30 days or 60 days. If we get too far past 60 days, we run into what's called the rainy season in the Philippines, and we really don't want to be there doing the outside work and what we have planned for this mission trip during the rainy season. So if, that, if, if it does run us into the rainy season, 
We're going to reschedule the trip for the fall. Um, with that, I am still going to Uganda. I was going to the Philippines, to Dubai, to Uganda, back to LAX was my trip. Sam was coming to the Philippines, and then he was going to come home when I went to Uganda. Still a chance that's going to happen. But regardless of what happens in the Philippines, I'm still going to Uganda. Um, and the mission in, in Uganda, I'm going with Lydia's dad. Lydia's dad will be in Uganda during that time. And so he said, you know, you're already in the Philippines. Why don't you meet me in Uganda for a week? So that's what I'm going to do. And um, if, again, if I don't go to the Philippines, I'm still going to Uganda in that time. It'll be like April um, 15th through the 23rd. And, and we're building um, a CBI, uh, which is a Calvary Bible Institute Bible College in Uganda. And for like a, a small amount of money, we can actually build physical stick buildings um, to house Bible college um, students. We can build churches. And so um, that's the, the mission in Uganda right now is we've, we've identified some property and some pastors and, and a mission there where we're going to build a training center in Uganda and train and, and with the specific purpose of training um, Ugandans to teach the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, to, to start churches, to be pastors, and then them to, to begin to go out and start indigenous churches in, in the Uganda, because we also have a finger right there into South Sudan. And um, Sudan is now two countries um, where, where all the, you guys have followed the Sudanese refugee crisis that's been going on for the last 20 years in Africa, and a lot of those um, with the Muslim persecution were ministering in that area too. So keep those two things in prayer. And um, again, if you'd like to be a part of giving to either one of those missions, I said it was going to be in the sermon, but let me just mention the concept. Um, a, a, a missions trip like this, as far as giving, it has to be an above and beyond gift, okay? So we did this building fund here, and we said, if you want to be a part of the building fund, we're, we're going to use the money to, to buy the building we're in. It's a great deal. We're going to pay less in mortgage than what we pay in rent. But if you normally give X amount of dollars per month, per week, and you just give the same amount, but you erase the tithe and write building fund, you didn't help the bottom line. It's not really what, what the gift is, right? So, um, so again, with missions too, it's, it's next level giving or it's a love offering. It's above and beyond. So it has to be above and beyond what you normally give if you want to be a part of that. But, but note it towards missions specifically. And again, you know, the, the one thing I, I can promise with anything you give towards missions is that there's no administrative fees. 100% of what you give hits the ground to, to do ministry in these places that we're going. Amen? I could have just read verse 1 because verse 1 is kind of where it covers it. But let's go 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Oh, one more thing. Hey, every once in a while I highlight a book, okay? So what I did was I bought four of them. There's, there's this one and three more out on the front table right by the door as you walk out. It's called Seven Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible. And one of the, the obstacles that I've faced in Utah as a pastor in Utah with some sharing the gospel and sharing my faith is a lot of the folks that I'm sharing my faith with, at, at the core of really what they believe, if you really get down to it, they don't believe that the Bible is inerrant, inspired word of God. I, I talked to um, an individual, and he, he was a professed believer in Jesus Christ. He had actually done some mission work. And when I came to the story of Jonah... He, he laughed at me. Do you really believe the guy was in the belly of a whale? I was like, uh, yeah, Jesus believed it. Jesus mentioned it in the Gospels, so it's good enough for me. And so, but again, the point was, and also he didn't believe in creation. He believed in evolution. But the reason why was because he didn't believe the Word of God 
was inspired, infallible word of God, and that th- and he thought those were just stories that, that God used, or that whoever used to illustrate it, and he couldn't trust it. Another guy told me the Bible's only good as much as it's been translated correctly, and so um, this is a good book for that. It's a good book for seven reasons why you can trust the Bible. It tells you how you got your Bible, and it's kind of done simply in a way that it's not. Sometimes the when you get into manuscript evidence and it gets really heady and kind of goes over my head and just get lost in it, you know. But this is just kind of a real practical way. So if um, so, these are just loners. If you're a reader, take one when you leave today. Whenever you finish it, just put it back on the table and let someone else use it, okay? If, if you go and you really, really like my announcement and you want it, um, they're on Amazon for like 12 bucks, okay? Seven reasons why you can trust the Bible. Book of the month. Willis Springs, Calvary Chapel. All right. Second Corinthians chapter nine. All right. Should we go back to eight and recap? All right. Let's let's just go to nine. I, I was waiting for my wife to say that, but you said it for her. So, verse one. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is. What does that say? Oh, superfluous. Is that what does that mean? Yours says what? I wish that's what mine says because that's what it means. Superfluous. For me to write to you, superfluous is a King James word that means not necessary. It's unnecessary. You guys already know this. It's not necessary that I write to you. Now, I want to set this this particular offering that Paul is going to receive in its context. Now, I like first that he says in verse 1 that he calls it ministering to the saints. So we're, they're giving money, but the, the, the way and because they give and how they give and what they're giving, Paul is identifying that as them ministering to the saints. Now, the money itself was going to be used, um, Paul was collecting an offering. He had already been in Macedonia and Acacia, that's the Philippians and the Colossians where, where he planted those churches. And Paul was traveling really to these churches that he planted and he was collecting money from the Gentile churches. Does anybody remember what Paul was going to do with the money? He was going to take it to Jerusalem and give it to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Why? Because they were, they were struggling financially really badly. The church had exploded from 12 apostles to about 10,000 people in a very short time. Because the people had traveled from all over, they, they wanted to stay and live in Jerusalem. And so they came up with, in, in the early parts of Acts, you remember that communal living? And the Bible says that they sold everything that they had and gave it to the church. And then it says that they were distributing. And remember the fight that they had? And the Hellenists, which were the Gentile, <coughs> actually they were, they were Jewish um, Hellenists who were um, arguing that when they were dispersing the daily distributions that they were favoring the Jewish women. And the apostles said, we're not to wait on tables, that we're called to the word of God and to prayer, but we're going to raise up men full of the Holy Spirit that are going to be in charge. And they chose seven men, all with Hellenist or Greek names, um, so, they, so they wouldn't show favoritism. And those men, Stephen being one of them, do you guys remember tracking any of this? And, and they began to distribute the goods in the early church. Well, this communal living, you know, um, some people today, and, and I'm not in the book of Acts, so I feel like I'm teaching the book of Acts, but um, some people today say, you know, the church really needs to model itself after the book of Acts. But that's not true. We walk through that. We learn from the book of Acts. We, we, we get ideas, and in and, and Acts 2.42, it gives us the four pillars of the early church, fellowship, the word of God, breaking bread, and um, what did I forget in fellowship? Word of God, prayer, breaking bread, and fellowship. So the, the, that's the staple, and obviously we learn, but the, 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 the function of the early church, God has not called us to function as they function, and actually the function of the early church fails. 
and, and, and there was eventually it ran out of money and it didn't do well. And so Paul was traveling to the Gentile churches to collect a special offering that he was going to bring back to Jerusalem. And he calls it ministering to the saints. And again, sometimes as we give to the Lord, you know, if we have certain attitudes about how we give and what we give and where the money is being given, it gives us a joy. And it says that it's going to bring a grace and a joy and understanding that the money that we use is um, ministering to the saints. Now, obviously, in a, in a local church like, like this, your tithes and offerings pays the rent, the, it pays light bills, it does practical things as well as, and then again, we try to, as a church, by function, be a church that's giving away our income, that we're giving away to missions and to people and to our church, and that we do have a responsibility to take care of you folks. And so many of you um, know and, and have at times run into some hard times and have, have called the church and that the church has been in a position where we've been able to help. And that's our function to help first the body of Christ here. And then as we go on, remember again, the model that, that the early church that Jesus laid out was that we're going to do ministry in what? Our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And our Jerusalem is Tooele and Judea is the surrounding areas in Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the world. As, as the gospel goes out. And so, um, verse number two. So it's not necessary that I write to you concerning the ministering of the saints. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't get to two yet. I got one more thing. Hey, this, this particular gift that Paul is receiving. Now, I, I'm going to open a can of worms here on myself, so, but I got to do it. Last week, and, and it's true, it is true, I said that you don't necessarily, you can't go to the New Testament and, and, and prove or require tithing. Tithing was an Old Testament principle. Now, I've heard pastors argue both, um, you know, because the Bible says that the tithing wasn't even actually a part of the law. Tithing came 400 years before the law. Abraham was the first one that gave a tithe, and Abraham lived 400 years before God ever gave the law. The first giving ever recorded or, or let, me, let me put it this way. The first giving ever required by God in the Bible, anybody want to take a stab at it? Cain and Abel. God required. So that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God is requiring his people that a part of our life as, as Christ followers is that we give. So, so it's not, it, it, and I, mean, I told you guys last week, when you consider what, what God expects in the area of giving, you, you take really Genesis to Revelation. That's why I spent a lot of time last week um, going through biblical stories in the Old Testament to set precedent. But the idea of the tithe or the 10% as a required um, uh, mandatory um, obligation, you don't find it in the New Testament. Jesus only mentioned tithe, the word tithe. He said at one time, recorded in the Gospels in his ministry, and he was talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he said, of your mints and your cumins, it was these little um, spices that they would grow in their gardens. And they would have this little, you know, 12 by 12 little thing of dirt where they'd grow these little spices. And they would go through and nine for me and one for the Lord, very meticulously. And he said, of your spices and your cumins, you tithe, which you should have done. That's what Jesus said. It's a tithe and you should have done it. He said, but what did he say? You neglect the weightier matters of the law, such as grace and love. And so really that's the only mention that Jesus ever mentions the word or the idea of tithe. Now I think tithe, for me personally, the way that I do it is that I use the tithe as a base, as a standard. It's a starting point that I can go off of. 
And, and then I feel like, you know, again, it's just, again, my personal obligation that, that that's the way I do it. And then when I want to give to a mission, if I want to give to something, that's a love offering that's above and beyond. But the principle of the tithe is first fruits. OK. And, and so, you know, if you're a farmer, Lydia's dad was a farmer and he always teaches this in a way that's easy to understand, because what happens is um, when when you when you get your first crop, if you're a farmer and it goes into the grain house, you know, there could come a storm and wipe out the rest of your crops and you get nothing. That's your paycheck for the year. And so if you have to give of your first fruits, it requires a faith. Now, if you say, oh, hold on, let me get all the crops. Let me go through this season, get all the harvest done. And then when I have it all, then I'll give to the Lord. It doesn't require faith. But if you have to give of your first fruits, there's no guarantee that the rest is going to be there. And that's a principle of giving and tithing in the Bible, Old or New Testament. Okay? The principle that we see in the Bible, in the New Testament, that I can teach as dogmatic is, is a principle of giving. And that, that's the principle that, that, that God requires. And, and again, we learned last week, God told us, it is to your advantage. The Apostle Paul, in the area of giving, he told Timothy as a young pastor. Now, as pastors, sometimes it's hard to talk about money. Like, I'm over it. I don't have a problem talking about money because in my heart of hearts, I believe that it's to your advantage. I believe I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't encourage you in giving to the Lord because God's going to bless you. Um, Paul told Timothy, he said, command those who are wealthy among you to give because it's to their advantage. And, and so, um, so this gift to Jerusalem, this was the last point, we'll get to verse two. This particular gift is not a tithe. It wasn't, it wasn't going to the church in Corinth. These people that Paul was collecting this money from, they would have already given their tithe to their local church. And then what Paul is collecting is a love offering above and beyond gift. Right. And again, when you when you when you want to give to the Lord a special gift, if you erase the word tithe and write building fund missions, you know, it's it's right. It doesn't help the bottom line. So this was a special gift that Paul was receiving from the Corinthians to give um, to the church in Jerusalem. Now, verse two, it says, for I know your. Everybody, verse two, you guys with me, chapter nine, verse two, I'm looking at that at that P hat in the back. For I know your willingness about which I boast to you of the Macedonians, the Acacians, again, the Philippians, Colossians, was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Listen, willingness is an absolute biblical principle of giving. I want you guys um, to do a, 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 an exercise with me, and I'd like for you guys to find in your Bibles 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Just go back to the Old Testament. And um, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Keep going to the right. You'll come to right after First, Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, First Chronicles 29. Um, do you guys remember King David wanted to build the temple? Okay, what happened? Did King David build the temple? Who built the temple? Why did David not build the temple? Because he had blood on his hands and God came to him and Nathan came to him um, and he said, he said, Nathan, you can't build the temple. He said, but God's going to build you a house. And that, that amazing blessing of King David that God was going to build him a house, but he couldn't build God a house. The house that God was going to build David was that David was going to be the great, 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 I'll spare you 27 more greats, grandfather of Jesus Christ. And that through the lineage of David would come Messiah. 
And that, that always, to this day, Messiah would be known as the son of David. But David, in his mind, in his heart, he said, well, I can't build God a house. He said, but I can pay for it. And I can collect all the materials. And so what David did at the end of his life was he spent time collecting and, and gathering all the materials that he put into his son Solomon's hands. And Solomon built the temple. In, in building and gathering things for the temple, it got to the point where the people had brought so much that they said, stop bringing. We have enough. You've given over in abundance. I, I don't think our churches have that problem. I wish our churches had that problem. But, but again, um, when I talk about biblical principles of giving, what I'm trying to teach, what I'm trying to communicate to you guys, and hopefully you pick up what I'm putting down, is that these principles of God are Genesis to Revelation. Have we talked about that? Okay? And, and, and so I want you to see. You know, you know the idea that people are saved today by grace? I, I think people sometimes think, oh, well, in the Old Testament they were saved different by the law or something. Do you know how people were saved in the Old Testament? By grace. It doesn't change. God doesn't change. These principles don't change. And, and I can illustrate again that the principle of giving that God, even, even during the time, this is during the time of, of the, the law of Moses and the tithe, but God's heart was still always the same for you and for his people. God, Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday and today, yesterday, today, and forever. But let's look at 29 together. We're going to do a little um, responsive reading. When I pause, I'd like for you to read the next words. Let's pick it up. So I, I give you a little bit of background. Um, rather than read the first five verses, I'm just going to tell you, um, David is telling the people to prepare an offering, to bring it. He's listing a little bit of what they um, collected. Let's look at verse five. It says, the gold for things and gold, the silver for things of silver and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. Who then is to conquer, con consecrate himself this day to the Lord. Then the leaders and the fathers and the houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and the hundreds, with the officers over the king's work offered. They gave for the work of the house of God, 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hands of Jehel, the the Gerashite, Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered, because with a loyal, they had offered to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. And we're going to see where giving creates rejoicing in your heart and my heart. Now, in this um, 29 here, again, the principle was that they had to give willingly. You know, God doesn't want your begrudging gift, Right? Let's say I invite you over to my house and, and I make my wife makes a wonderful uh, what's gross. Huh? Yeah, she makes one of those and uh, and you're eating at my house and um, and then and then it comes time for seconds and I say to you, would you like seconds? And you say, oh, man, that was wonderful. I'll take seconds. And then you eat the seconds. And when you're done eating and I say, you know. Usually when my wife makes that, it lasts me a whole week, and now you ate it all. I won't have any left. How would you feel? Like, oh, hey, let me give it back. Like, I didn't ask to come to your house. I didn't ask for seconds. Like, what do you mean? Like, you offered. I took it. Like, it would make you feel bad, right? And, and God obviously doesn't, doesn't want that in our giving. He's not trying to feel bad or give begrudgingly. He only wants what you can give willingly. And again, don't ever, ever, ever... Um, 
Actually, do what you want. I should be careful how I say that. But if it's me, I would never, ever, ever give to a ministry that is making me feel guilty or making me feel like God's programs are going to fail if I don't give. You know, it used to be well, a long, long time ago when it was just on the, the TV and the radio that these, these guys would get on there and they would say, this radio program is going to go off the air if you don't give. I'd be like, don't, don't tease me. Just go off the air already. Listen, if God is in it, it's not going to go off the air, whether you give or not. And that's a hard, that's a hard principle to understand. I get it. Because somebody has to give. But I'll tell you what, when God's in it, where God guides, God provides, and God's not broke, and God doesn't need your money. If you ever feel like, you know, it should send up red flags all over the place if you feel like you need um, somebody or something. You know, I can remember I was teaching prophecy and I ran into a new source for prophecy and was really good. This guy did amazing research on CERN. That's that, that place in Switzerland where they're, they're shooting atoms through this big tube to try to recreate the Bang Bang Theory. It's like a $4,700 billion contraption that they built there in Switzerland and CERN is, and anyways, has a lot to do with the end times and ties into prophecy and these things. And I was I, was, I found this resource and I'm studying this. I'm watching these sermons and this video. And at the end of the sermon, it, it goes right into this like professionally made infomercial. And you too can own all of this stuff for $99.99. And I can remember feeling like, oh, I need that if I'm going to understand biblical prophecy. Like, and as soon as I got that feeling, like I needed to have what they were selling, immediately a check in my spirit. They, 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 there's, there's no prophecy of, in, of private interpretation. God hasn't given them something that he can't give to you or I. They, they don't have a corner on the market. I got the same Bible they have. I, have, I serve the same God and the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And, and again, as soon as you feel like you have to, you need to, just let that be a check in your spirit, whether it's giving, whether it's, you know, sometimes, uh, unfortunately, a lot of, Pastors will teach in such a way, you know, at the end of the sermon, it's like, and then if you want to find out, got to come back next week. Because God has revealed something to me in Daniel that nobody else knows. And then you feel like, oh, man, I got I to gotta go back. I got to find out what he knows. No, you don't. That's dangerous. That's drawing disciples unto yourself. I never want to draw disciples unto myself. You don't need me. You need the word of God. You need Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus is all you need ever need. You don't need a pastor, a priest, anybody to have access to God. One thing that, that we as Gentiles, we completely miss, and I've preached it till I don't know how to preach it anymore, but it's powerful and it's true. The veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom, and that was radical. Because before that time, nobody went into the Holy of Holies for thousands of years. And all of a sudden, any peasant is invited right into the Holy of Holies, including you and I. We all have direct access directly to God. And again, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to translate this back to giving, but um, we don't do giving out of obligation. We have to have a willing heart. Now, have you guys ever given because you watched something on TV or you heard something and you felt, oh, I have to give or obligated, and after you gave it, you're like, oh, I couldn't really afford that. But, I, you know, the, the problem is you don't get a reward for it anyways. Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. I want to tell you, every time you give unto the Lord, whether it's your finances, your time, your service, your prayer, your dedication, you're sending things up to heaven where, where Jesus is there building a house for you, as he said in the word of God in John 14. 
you're sending materials. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. There's rewards in heaven. The Bible says that you're going to stand before a bema seat of Christ one day. That's for believers. There's two judgments in the Bible. The white throne judgment, you won't be there if you're a believer in Jesus Christ because everybody who attends the white throne judgment, Revelation 20, goes to hell. But the bema seat judgment is different. That's for believers. And that's where your, your works will be tried with fire and God will purify the motive of why you did what you did. We studied the widow and her two mites last week, right? And Jesus looked at this woman in this big church service and she said, this woman gave more than all of you. She gave nothing compared to what they gave physically and and the amount of money she gave. She gave two pennies, less than two pennies. But what God rewarded her for was her motive and her heart and what it cost her. And that's the Bema Seed Judgment is that God is going to reward you for your heart and what it cost you and the faith that it took as you gave, as you served, as you did unto the Lord. I guarantee you, if there's regret in heaven, I don't care how much you give to the Lord of your life. I'm not just talking about your money. That, they, that, that when you get to heaven, you will have wished you gave more. You will have wished you'd done more. And, and not one person in all of human history is going to stand in heaven and go, oh man, I serve Jesus too much. Now that I'm here and I'm at the Bema Seat Judgment and these rewards are coming out, I don't need all that stuff. I wish I would have spent more time for myself. Not one person. Nobody ever said. And so, again, this, this willing heart, that, that's what I'm preaching. So, really quick from last week, first fruits, that's, that's, that's a, um, remember the widow, remember the widow, we, saw, we studied her in Kings? She only had one meal left, and God said, give it to me first, through the prophet Elijah. Give it to me first. That makes no sense. She's going to die. She gave it to him first. Um, let me illustrate this. Um, God does require first fruits. And with the widow, remember the story of the widow? And, and Elijah, she just had enough cake, her and her son. She was going to bake it and die. There was nothing left. Elijah said, bake the cake and give it to me first. If she did that, her and her son would starve to death. So Elijah said, if you'll do that by faith and you'll give it first to God, to the, to the man of God, or give it to God through Elijah, then God will take care of you. And that's exactly what ended up happening. The jar that she kept the flour and the supplies in, the oil, when she opened it up and she made Elijah the cake and gave it to Elijah, she went back to the jar and there was more left in the jar somehow. And then every time she went back to the jar, the Bible says it just somehow there was more in the jar all the time. God just did it supernaturally. You know, we had a, we had a, our men, our men's discipleship. We had a young man come to men's discipleship one time. And I was teaching the men about tithing and giving. And he was a young man in his young 20s. And he was a hard worker. And, and he was he had this, this like bad look on his face. And I said, hey, man, what's up? And he said, are you telling me, like, I owe people money. I have a certain amount of money. I'm on a budget. I owe people money at the end of the week. And if I pay my tithes, I won't be able to pay these people at the end of the week. Are you, are you telling me that God is honored by me stiffing people as a Christian? Isn't that a bad witness? And I said, well, I don't know. So the Bible says give of your first fruits. And that if you give of your first fruits, that at the end of the week, those people will be paid. And, and I explained to him the principle that it's a matter of faith. And yes, you give regardless of, of, of at the end of the month. And no, as a Christian, you don't want to owe people money. And it is a bad witness. But what I'm saying is that when you go back to the jar, miraculously, there's going to be something left in it. If you, if you do it as a matter of faith if you do it as a matter of trusting the Lord. So I get home from, from, from men's Bible study that night. Sunday night we were doing men's Bible study. It was kind of late. And I get this really long text on my phone. And the person on the other end is delated. 
And they're like, I didn't say anything, Pastor Chris. But before I left, I put the money that, that I was supposed to put in. I, I put it in the tithe envelope and I left it. And, and by leaving that money, I wasn't going to have lunch the next day and I wasn't going to have the cash that I needed to get through my week and, and, and to pay my bills. When I got home, in this particular situation, his mom helped him with his bank account. And he said, when, when I got home, after I dropped the envelope off, my mom let me know that I had just received a bonus check from my boss for X amount of money. He's like, that never happens. I was like, I knew giving works. I didn't know it worked that fast. That's pretty good. <laughs> and he was, he was excited. God just did that for him to, to encourage his giving and his believing. And it doesn't always work exactly like that. But when you put things, I want to, I, I want you guys to understand that when you put things into God's economy, don't do math. God doesn't do math. God doesn't do math like you do. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to give it unto him with a willing and the right heart. And then when you put God math on it, I told you guys last week in the law of Moses, it says that in the year of Jubilee, that if your neighbor comes and asks you to borrow money, you give it. Why do you give it? Because God's going to repay you, it says. Because God's going to take care of it. It makes no financial sense or mathematical sense to loan money in Israel in the year of Jubilee. Because in no time, all the debts are going to be wiped out. You're going to lose that money. And God says, give it anyways. It doesn't make any sense. All right. And then he says, um, let's go back to uh, 2 Corinthians. We're jamming today, baby. Verse number 3. Well, hold on. Let's not do that. For 2 Corinthians, let's go 8, 12 really quickly. What was the principle in 8, 12? For if there is first a... Willing mind. I just want to point out another willing, okay? Willing, 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 willing. You'll see that a lot. Verse number three says, Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain. In this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians, the Philippians, come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary. Earlier he said it was superfluous. Now he says it is necessary to exhort or encourage the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift before which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity. Now, twice in verse 5, we have the word generous. And again, the Holy Spirit teaches through repetition. So another principle of living as a Christ follower is generosity. I remember hearing this one time and. It, it, it always stuck with me, so I'm going to try it on you guys. It, would you rather have for your best friend somebody who is generous or stingy? Would you rather have for your boss somebody who is generous or stingy? Would you rather have for your family members people who are generous or stingy? Would you rather have for your neighbors somebody who is generous or stingy? So what kind of person should you be? <laughs> just as simple, right? It just makes sense, right? That, that generosity. You know, again, I, I, as a Bible teacher, I hope that I ask God that I get a pass because the Bible says not to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and not to boast or brag about how you gave or where you gave because then if people say, oh, you're so cool, then that's your reward, you lose your reward. But sometimes in sharing the Bible, I have to share personal stories to illustrate what it says and encourage and I hope I'm not boasting or bragging or losing my reward. Um, but again, um, this concept of, of being generous as 
Christ followers is something that Lydia and I have tried to live by. We, Lydia and I have lived on a pastor's salary and a, and a really tight budget. Joshua Springs, I don't know how they get away with this, but her dad is a German from Kansas, so uh, he, he, I don't know, he figured it out, but they, 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 they based our first salary on our need. They said, well, what do you guys need? And at the time, there was a couple in the house. There were snowbirds. We have a lot of snowbirds in the Palm Springs, Yucca Valley area. Snowbird is somebody who spends the warm months in Palm, or the nice months, the cold months, other places, January, February, March, April, in Palm Springs where it's 80 degrees. And then they get out of there in the summer and go to their Canada, wherever their house is. Well, there were some snowbirds there. And right after Lydia and I got married, their house was going to be open for about five months, and they were going to be in wherever their other place was. And so they let Lydia and I stay there. And they're so like, you guys got no rent. You know, they're so here, you know, here's, here's 12000 a year. So my first salary was like 12000 a year. I made less. I would have made more if I worked at McDonald's. Um, but anyways, you know, e- even in those days and in those years and in coming up, and then my salary slowly started to grow from 12000 over the years. You know, if we get invited to a wedding or we get invited to a birthday party, and it was never like extravagant at all. But rather than give $20 gifts, we gave a $40 gift. Rather than give a $15, we'd give $25. And we'd always just try to do something a little extra, a a little nicer. And again, I'm not talking about, oh, yeah, we just gave $1,000 gifts everywhere we went. and We gave people Lexuses and Rolexes. No, that's not what I'm saying. But to try to, for Lydia and I, and whatever that meant for you guys, you think, oh, $40, you're a cheapskate. No, but for us, that was a generous gift. You know, that was a generous gift. And I think people, you know, um, so we, we just have always tried in that area of our own life to, to be generous. You know, when we tip as believers, you know, we should be generous. You know, I'm okay with tip includes, our tip means to ensure prompt service, tips. So, yeah, you've got a bad waiter, I'm not saying. But at the same time, don't leave her one of these Tooele Springs invite cards and then stiff her tip. If you're going to do that, leave her, leave her a business card from like the Baptist church or something. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but again, you know, like, remember Christian bumper stickers? Christian bumper stickers was like, in the 70s, it was all the rage, right? Everybody had, if you're a Christian, you had to have a bumper stickers all over the back of your car, like, honk if you love Jesus and whatever, and driving down the street, people are honking at you, and you, you know. Nowadays, I, I don't have Christian bumper stickers on my car. You seen the way I drive? That's a bad witness. So I don't want people to know I'm a Christian when I'm driving down the street, but you know, I saw this one, it was, you know, honk if you love Jesus, and this one bumper sticker said, tithed if you love Jesus, any idiot can honk. <laughs> but generosity, let me now forget my point. Generosity, verse 5, is mentioned twice. Again, the, 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 um, the principle is, is generosity in, in, in giving. And listen, I really believe this. I really, really, really believe this. If you um, are generous... God will refill, okay? And, and Lydia and I, in, in our attempt to live our lives generously, um, God has absolutely taken care of us. God has absolutely repaid us in so many ways. And I could tell you story after story after story of, of things that God has done in our lives in the ministry. Um, the one I think of all the time, um, some friends of ours took their family to Disneyland. It was like they were a family of five, and we were a family of five, and it was like, you know, it's $1,000 just to go for the day. And if you stay the night and do the two-day pass, I mean, forget it. I can't tell you how much money they spent to go to Disneyland. I'm like, man, it'd be nice to take my family to Disneyland. I couldn't afford that. 
And then like a week later, I, we get a call. I'm not even kidding. We get a call. It's Dan Letourneau. I'll tell you his name. Or maybe one day he'll hear this sermon. And Dan says, Pastor Chris, uh, we, we bought these three-day passes at Disneyland, and we didn't use them all, and they're still good. You guys can go. Do you want to take your family to Disneyland for free? I'd live like an hour and 20 minutes from Disneyland. It's like car ride to Disneyland. So we go to Disneyland for free. My friend who, you know, he makes twice as much money as I do, but he had to pay to take his family to Disneyland. God just does things, you know, supernaturally. While I'm telling stories, let me tell you another story I'm thinking of. This happened right here in this church. And, and you know, in the area of, of, of God filling it in because we're going to give of our first fruits and we're going to give, like in the story of the, um, the bit of discipleship that I told where the kid decided to give to the Lord even though he didn't know how he was going to make his bills at the end of the month. Um, there's other areas where I really believe that God does things supernaturally for those that are generous or believe in the area of giving unto the Lord. We had, when this church first started, I had three men that were coming and we were, um, we were discipling, they were growing in the Lord. Two of them really struggled with giving. One of them gave absolutely nothing and one of them was, uh, you know, dropped 20 bucks in every once in a while. The third one, he was, um, he didn't make, and on all three, I think were maybe about similar incomes. They all had good jobs and did decent, you know, did, they were, they were um, what do you call them, middle income or upper middle class. And they're just normal guys, you know. And so, but one of them didn't give anything. One of them didn't tithe, but just every once in a while would do something. The third one really believed in giving. And when it hurt and it was sacrificial, he gave. And, and, I, and I knew this about them. And so that week, I had, I had a conversation with each one of them, unknowns to another and all separate. And the first guy who gave nothing, he came to me and he said um, that his hot water heater exploded and it caused a flood and the damage and, and the repairs are going to be like 2500 bucks. And he was just telling me a story, oh yeah, I had this happen in the house and, you know, and then, and then very shortly after I had a conversation with the second one who just was kind of like, and he said that the, he was on a, a septic tank. And the septic tank in his front yard went bad and had to bring a backhoe in and dig his front yard up and it was going to cost him 3500 bucks to fix it. Then the, the third guy came who, who gave and, and believed in giving and he said, Pastor Chris, he said, I just got the hugest raise at work. He's like, I didn't even expect it. I don't know what happened, but man, I just got a, I got a promotion and the hugest raise at church. And, and those three conversations, God used them just for me personally. And it wasn't, they were not connected there, but the fact that they all happened, boom, 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 right back to back, and God put them together, I, I, you know, and, and I believe this, and I've seen it lived out in my own life, and I, I want to be careful, but maybe as you give to the Lord, God does things like that, and I'm not, here's what I want to be careful about. I'm not saying that God destroyed the septic tank or blew up the hot water heater because they didn't give. That's not what I'm saying. Maybe the hot water heater and the septic tank were already going to go out. And maybe for the third guy, his hot water heater and septic tank was going to go out, but the Holy Spirit is holding it tight for a little bit. That, that God is preserving it. You know, God says for the nation of Israel, they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years and they only had one pair of Jordans and so they never wore out. 40 years, God preserved the soles of their shoes just supernaturally. And, and that I think even in the principle of giving to the Lord, that that's a real truth, that God can do things that you'll never see that are supernatural where God is going to provide and take care of you in ways that, that are intangible but are actually really translate to give and it shall be given back to you. Verse number four, six, five at the end of it. 
I paused right before the end of it because this is the next point. That it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not grudging obligation. I'm not going to preach this because I do it enough, okay? We're going to go on to the next verse. Do not give out a grudging obligation. We don't want your grudging obligation because God doesn't want us. And if I really believe and if I really encourage you to give because it's for you and it's to your advantage, I don't want you to give out a grudging obligation. I don't want you to give because you have to. Don't give. And I'm not judging you either because God has to work in your heart. So listen, if you're here this morning and you just don't understand, maybe you've had a bad experience, maybe you think everything I'm saying right now is hooey, um, do not give until God, um, until God gives you a peace. But what I do ask is if you're in that situation, an area of giving, that you talk to God about it. You go to the word for yourself. You spend some time in prayer and let God speak to you about this area of what you should do. But until God gives you the peace, until God tells you to do it, please don't give. Because I don't want you to give where you're not going to receive a reward or receive God's blessing over your life because of it. And the bottom line is if you're not giving with a willing heart, we're going to read here in a minute, the, the Greek word is hilarion or hilarious. We get this word hilarious from. If you don't give hilariously, then, then, then you're giving with the wrong heart. And God doesn't care how much you put in. He cares about the condition of your heart. Amen? All right, so verse 6 says this. But this I say, he who sows sparingly. Now, I'm from L.A. I grew up in it. It's so funny because I, I moved from the concrete jungle to Yucca Valley. Lydia's dad is a farmer. He grew up. His nearest neighbor was a mile away. My nearest neighbor, when I was in the shower, I would reach out the window and he would reach out his window and we would give each other a high five. I mean, there was right there is apartments here, apartments there, and we were packed in. And so it was like this kind of disconnect for a little bit because all of Lydia's dad's sermon stories were farm stories. And I grew up in a, and I didn't relate to farm stories. I didn't understand that. Your nearest neighbor is a mile away. That's weird, you know, and he thought I was weird. But where, where I grew up, and so I remember when I first was a believer and I, and I was reading this, he who sows sparingly. Like I honestly in my mind am thinking like sowing with a needle. <laughs> yeah, that's not sewing. So I'm going to let you guys in. If you're from L.A. like me or you're just maybe slow like I was at that time, sowing in this context is planting seeds, okay? You take seeds and you sow them. You throw them out in the field. This principle is as simple as it gets, right? If you have a field and you throw 100 seeds in your field, how many, if they all grow, how many trees are you going to get? hundred. If you throw 20 seeds into the field, how many trees are you going to get? That's what God says about giving. Okay. He says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. Is that Chinese? Do you believe in the word of God? Yes. That, that, that ends the conversation for me right there, right? Like, like, do we believe the word of God? Let's look at verse six again. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Everybody say purposes in his heart. Okay. Hey, as far as I'm concerned, as far as this local church is concerned and your pastor, this is what I teach on tithing. This is where I get it. You give as, as, as you've purposed in your heart. And so you, you speak, but again, what I ask on that is that you talk to God about what that is, that you have a peace from the Lord. 
and that, and that if you believe in the word of God, here's what else I could encourage you in. That if you, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow 20 seeds, you're going to get 20 trees. If you sow 100, you're going to get 100 trees. And, and then not necessarily that the math works that way, because that's not what it says, one for one. It says um, 30, 60, or 100 in another place. But it's, the idea is generously or sparingly. You just barely give what, what, what you can. You just barely give enough. Just barely give something for your conscience. You, that's fine. That, that's how God and that's what you've purposed in your heart. Amen. But just understand that that's how God's going to give it back to you. Do you believe? Now, now, let's talk about this concept. I think it's super important when we talk about the area of tithing and giving unto the Lord. Do we, um, do we give to get? Why not? Okay. Well, let's look at what Jesus said. Turn with me, if you will. Let's go Luke chapter 6, verse 38. That was pretty, like, unanimous right there. Well, let's fight. We're going to fight about that. What's the first word of verse 38? Give. Oh, wait, wait. First of all, who has a red letter Bible? Okay, are these words red or black? Red. What does red letters mean? Jesus. Now, why do I point that out? Because I'm hoping that when Jesus says it, you can believe it, you can trust it. Okay? You should believe any of it and all of it anyways. But there's a special emphasis when it's words in red. Now, look at the, what does it say? Give and, and it shall be given to you. Is it, does, can you write that give to get? Jesus said, if you give, it will be given to you. So are we giving to get? Jesus said we are. Now, I'm, 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 I'm pricking you guys a little bit, goating you guys a little bit. But um, no, you're right. We, we do, this is kind of a gray area in, in the fact that we, if, if you just have a heart that the only reason why you're giving to God is so you can get something back, we don't want to have that heart. That's not the heart. We, want, we, we don't want that. We want to give because we believe what the Word of God says. We believe that we're investing in our own future. We believe that we're investing in God's kingdom here on earth. And we're seeing other believers get blessed and other people come to Jesus. And lots of reasons. But we don't just give it so that we'll get something back. Okay? But you cannot avoid the truth that the Bible teaches if you give, you will get. That's a biblical truth. I can't avoid it. I can't hide it. I can try to protect my motive and my heart. But the bottom line is, the Bible does teach give to get. Now, not as a motive, not as a heart. You know, you know um, let me tell you another personal story that I've got to be careful telling. But one year, um, Lydia and I had um, a stellar year in giving. I mean, really phenomenal year for the amount of income that we had on my W-2s to the number that was on my, my tithe statement at the end of the year was a high percentage, the biggest number we had ever had percentage-wise in one year. We really stepped out in faith that year. I don't know where some of this money came from because there were some big gifts that money we don't have. So it must have been like tax return money, sell a house money. We sold a couple of houses over the year. But we, we had an absolute stellar year of giving. And that was one of the toughest financial years that we had financially for um, our personal finances. And, and having, you know, credit cards that, that weren't getting paid. And, and I was, at the end of the year, I went back and I said, man, I said, we really were generous this year. We really stepped out in faith on a couple different times. Why would this year I'd have the, the worst financial year we've ever had? 
And I really felt like it was a, a personal and a big lesson God was teaching me. And, 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 he, and he spoke to my heart and he said that, that you know, you, you can't buy blessings. And maybe there were some other areas of my life that God was more concerned about when I wasn't walking in obedience and God wasn't going to bless those. You know, we, we had, since I've been in this church again, and, and, and uh, again, I try to be careful, but you, we have a woman or a man, just that way you don't know what's there. Then we have this person who, who has been giving, um, used to, I haven't seen him in a while, used to give, um, come by and drop off a check or some money, cash, $1,000, $1,500, $25,000, $3,000, and I was always trying to encourage this person. Do you go to church? Do you? Um, no, no, no. I don't attend church anymore. But I just want to tithe. I do tithe. I want to give to the Lord. I want to give to the Lord. And, and, and always, and coming in every once in a while and dropping off these, these big checks or big, big money. And, and it was like, I, I, I wanted to stop it, to be honest. I, I didn't want to stop somebody's um, heart to want to give to God. And I wanted to be careful. But what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to try to preach this idea that you can just buy your way into God's graces. That God, you, how, how are you going to be disobedient to every other part of the Bible and just give and think that, that God's going to be okay with that? Listen, there's more than just giving to the Lord. So you can give, 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 but if you're giving to cover your disobedience in your life, it's not gonna, then, then God's math doesn't work for you. Then you don't, you don't necessarily reap a hundredfold harvest. Because just as much as God is concerned with your giving, God is concerned with your obedience. God says, sacrifice I don't require. Oh, you make these sacrifices to give to cover sins in your life. It's not going to work. You have to live an obedient life to the Lord, and then God will, will bless your giving. And so I just, I just wanted to cover that, amen? But I am out of time. So uh, we've got like one or two more verses to cover, um, and, then, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap up here. Verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves cheerful giver. That word is hilarion in the Greek, where we get our English word hilarious. Sometimes I say, so when the offering bag is passed, you should go, ah! <laughs> Now, obviously, God knows we're not idiots, and we don't act that way. He doesn't expect that. But it is, it is spoken in this, in this verse and in this word, the same, again, the same context, context that we give hilariously. We give willingly. We give out of joy in our heart. And listen, if you guys can figure out how to do that, I, I, can, I can tell you, God's word promises. Jesus said, I started the verse and then I stopped it. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you, Jesus said. And then he goes on, he says, um, verse number eight, and God is able. Everybody say, God is able. Again, you guys, put it in God's economy. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. You guys are budget people, and you budget it all, and you figure out your tithe, and at the end of the month, you don't have enough money? Try it. Malachi, the only place in the Bible God says, test me. He says, test me in this and see that I won't pour out blessings in heaven for you. So try it. I encourage you in this area. Try it for six months. Now, again, it's not just, oh, I'm just going to give, and then, you know, there's other principles involved of being obedient, walking with Jesus. But try it. Try it for six months and see if God doesn't. See if those bills aren't being met at the end of the month, even when it doesn't pan on, out on paper when you've purposed. But purpose in your heart, you give it in the beginning, you give it as a matter of faith, and God will show up on the back end. I'm promising you that. 
God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God's not broke, you guys. God has an abundance. He chooses to use you and I as the principle we taught last week. God's not broke. He doesn't need your money. We don't need your money. Somehow, if God's in it, he's going to provide for it. But he wants to reward you. He wants to bless you. He's chosen to use you in this area. And it says, now may he, was that a capital H? Hey, let's have the worship team go ahead and come on up. Um, Verse number 10. Now, real quick. Now what? May, capital H is what I'm asking. Okay, so that capital H means that speaking of God, of Jesus. He who supplies seed to the sower. Who's the sower that we just read about? That's you. And it says if you sow sparingly, you're going to what? Reave sparingly. But here it says that God provides the seed. So you reach in that bag to sow, and there's nothing in there unless God puts it in there. So it's all God. God gives you the seed. If he's going to put the seed in the bag, why not throw a bunch of it out? It's all his anyways. You guys think, oh, I have to give 10%. That's why you struggle with giving. If you looked at it like this, hey, I get to keep 90. It's all God's seed, and I get to keep 90 of it and give 10? Yay. Hey, I don't, uh, I don't even like the 10% rule because I, I think God would call you to give more than 10%. I don't want to limit it to 10%. Are you telling me I have to give 10%, Pastor? No. I already told you there's no tithe rule in the New Testament. But I'm telling you, maybe God's called you to give more than 10%. But if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Step out faith. See what God wants to do. It's all his anyways, right? And it's all going to burn in the end. How much of it can you guys take with you? How much of it can you send ahead? As much as you want. All of it. You can send it ahead. You just can't take it with you. Jim Elliott, famous missionary who was murdered in, in, by the Uka Indians. One of his famous quotes, he is no fool who gives what he cannot who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. Give unto the Lord what you can't keep anyways to gain what you can't lose. What do you gain? You gain what's in heaven. You know that all that everything you keep is all that you have. But what you give, God can multiply. So when you what you decide to keep for yourself, that's all you're ever going to have. But what you give to the Lord, God can multiply. I think we should take another offering before we go. (laughs) Instead, let's stand and uh, pray and worship the Lord. Um, Hey, uh, you guys want to pray? Kevin and Darlene, um, Shannon and Dave will be available. If anybody would like prayer, Josh, you guys need to come to the back door. Just stand in the back. Josh and Amber are back there as well. If anybody would like prayer, you guys want to come. If you need individual prayer, we encourage you guys to come forward and receive prayer. We're going to sing one song. If you have to absolutely leave, you're free to go. But I do encourage you, if you can, stay during this song and let the Spirit of God move. Let's not be so antsy just during this time to be in such a hurry to just rush out of here. Okay? It's one song. Let God speak to you. Pray during this time. Pray for somebody. I've told you guys before, and I give you a green light. If, if you have a friend in here, if you know somebody in here, you don't know somebody in here, and God puts somebody in your heart, it doesn't only have to be the people up front who get to pray for people. You want to go pray for somebody? Get out of your seat during this song and walk over to somebody in love and say these words. What are the words? Can I pray for you? And let God move.
If you don't know Jesus in your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, you have opportunity right now to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You just say yes to Jesus and you come up and one of the, one of the pastors or leaders will pray for you in, in a sinner's prayer. If you struggle in the area of finances, and you know, come up and have, have somebody pray for you. Maybe just stay where you are and pray. And let God, let God speak to your heart. Amen? Amen. Father God, we come before you. And Father, we thank you so much for these chapters. Lord, I pray that each one of us in this church would take today and, and go back through 8 and 9, read through it, and just, just think about it. Lord, that we would talk to you about how we're to give and what we're to give. And Lord, that, that if we have a heart where we're, we're still giving unwillingly or out of begrudging obligation, that you would soften that heart. That you would encourage us, Father, that we're planting seeds that you're going to multiply. That we're investing in our own future. That we're investing in our own eternity. And Father, I pray, God, that you would use this church, that you would multiply all that's given, and Lord, use us to sow it sparingly around the world and here in Tooele County. And so, Father, we thank you, and we give you glory and honor, and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's worship.